0: Hello and welcome to our second Funds Fan podcast brought to you by Broker Interactive Investor in conjunction with Money Observer and Moneywise magazines. I'm Faith Glasgow, I'm the editor of Money Observer, and with me today are Kyle Caldwell who's deputy editor, uh, and Rachel Ricard Strauss who's editor of Moneywise and interactive funds analyst Libby Godfrey. Thank you all very much for joining me today. At Money Observer, we have devoted a lot of column inches over the recent years to Neil Woodford's new investment ventures, and most recently to his fall from grace. His flagship Woodford Equity Income Fund is in the process of being wound up after being suspended in July last year due to liquidity issues, and investors in the fund are anxiously waiting to see how much they're finally going to get back. So Kyle, they should get the first tranche of payment at the end of this month. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. They were supposed to get the uh, first payments on the 20th of January, but um, that's now been moved to the 30th of January. So yeah, that's that's the current state of affairs. Um, but you know, it's still up in the air in regards to how much of a capital loss investors will actually make.
0: So is there any indication of how much they are likely to get back of their original investment?
1: Well, there was a leaked report in November from um, private equity house PJT Park Hill. This is the firm that was appointed to um, help wind down the unlisted stocks held in um, the Woodford Equity Income Funds. And um, this leaked report was made before they were appointed. Um, it was widely covered at the time, and it suggested that losses would be in the thirty to forty percent region. And that's pretty much all investors have to go on, really, because they haven't been told to date. But obviously, hopefully, next week they will they will find out.
0: Sticking with Woodford, um, we've had Fun Smith's big gun Terry Smith cocking a snook at him this week in his annual letters to um, Smith shareholders, underlining the, the fact that his Fundsmith shareholders w- won't be in the same boat as Woodford's have found themselves. Kyle, can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, well, Terry Smith, um, he writes an annual letter to shareholders. It's pretty much the only one that's actually written by an open-ended fund manager. They're not required to do so. They're not investment trusts. They don't have to issue annual reports. And um, they are always quite an entertaining read. One of the points that he made was that one of the big downfalls that led to Wolford's um, fall from grace was that um, he changed his investment strategy. In Smith's words, he changed his game um, and that was because he, um, he ended up investing higher stakes in smaller illiquid companies and unquoted firms
0: because of course he started as a, a big value investor an equity income investor in, in big blue chip companies back in the in the 1990s and that was where he made his his name wasn't it
1: it was yeah and you know he predominantly did invest in large dividend paying companies he did have some exposure to these sort of unquoted um, stocks, mm. but you know that was only a very small part of the portfolio. And then when he launched his new venture, they were a much bigger part of it.
0: Yeah, did mention earlier that there is a there's a great quote from Smith in the in his letter. Do you want to tell us about that?
1: Quite a few commentators have you know talked about was one of the main reasons why you know a lot of money went out of the fund was because Woolford was a star fund manager and Teddy Smith in his letter says that this was this is actually the wrong issue to focus on he says that you know it makes no more sense to avoid funds run by staff or managers any more than it does to avoid supporting football teams because they have star players yeah one of the points he makes is that um you know if Cristiano Ronaldo obviously one of the best football players on the planet you know if he played as a goalkeeper would he be as good in that position? as he is as a striker. And the answer is, he he wouldn't be.
0: Smith also points out more generally that there are obvious lessons for the fund industry, particularly about how to manage illiquid and hard to sell assets and um, how unsuitable they are for funds that are being traded on a daily basis. Have you heard of any meaningful signs of change?
2: in that respect?
1: Well, the regulator and the Bank of England do seem to be trying to push the open-ended fund industry to alter their structure for funds that invest in illiquid assets. And last uh, June, um, the Investment Association came up with its own solution, which they said would be called a long-term asset fund. And under this scenario, withdrawals would be limited. So rather than offering daily dealing, you'd only be able to sell your investments. For argument's sake, on a weekly or a monthly basis, or you know, even quarterly potentially, um, they didn't actually say that. But you know, look, reading through the lines, that is that is how the structure would work. Um, but rather disappointingly, in my opinion, at least, is that the Investment Association said that if this new type of fund structure was launched, it would primarily be for um, institutional investors rather than retail investors. I don't really understand why they've, they've adopted that approach. If you are a self-directed investor who you know who does his or her homework why should you be you know restricted from investing in these funds i mean you, you know if you swat up on you know the the risk that you're going to be taking etc. so yeah, i do think that is disappointing
0: but they haven't made a final ruling on this one way or the other
1: no it was just like a, it was just like a paper they put yeah. out and but it was it was something you know they did do a lot of work it does seem to be that you know they do seem to be seriously considering it
0: of course, in the normal course of events, investors who want to vote with their feet about a particular open-ended fund or sector can do so without a problem. They just cash in their holding and move on. And that is exactly what's been happening as far as targeted absolute return funds are concerned, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right, Faith. you know, It's the worst selling sector in uh, November. It's It's been the, the worst selling sector for seven months out of 11 in 2019. The data only goes up to the end of November. We at Money Observer have been very sceptical. What? of these funds.
0: Why have they become so unpopular?
1: Well these funds are the core objective is to uh, protect investor capital during more turbulent times, but we've you know, in the last seven, eight years we have had some turbulent months and mm. if you if you look at the data, unfortunately the majority of the funds just haven't delivered um protecting investor capital. Mm. Um, that's pretty much the bottom line of it, really.
2: Well,
0: thanks for that, Kyle. I'm afraid there is no rest for the wicked just yet, because I'm hoping you can help me with this week's investment question. Um, it's one that we hear a lot about at Money Observer. Most open-ended funds are available in a range of so-called share classes. For example, you can get accumulation versions of the, of the fund where dividends are reinvested. And you can also get income, so-called income versions, uh, where income is, is paid out. But how do investors know which share class to buy when they are selecting fund? So, uh, Kyle, have you got any thoughts?
1: First off, like I say, this whole share class situation around funds is incredibly confusing, and I think the fund man- fund management industry need to you know collectively get together and uh, sort it out. Um, it is a minefield, and it's it's not intuitive. I do think it will put beginner investors off investing. So, if you're an investor, best of buying a fund today you're likely to see the following share classes. R for Retail, I for Institutional. You may also see some other letters, things like P2, U, W. These are um, super clean share classes. And then you're also gonna see Inc and Ac. Inc's for Income and Ac is for Accumulation. And um, there are other share class options. um, For example, Hedged, which uh, strips our currency movements.
0: Rachel, I believe MoneyWise has recently run something on how to understand share classes.
3: Yes, so we have a feature in the February issue of MoneyWise. Um, it's Share Classes, your no nonsense jargon buster. And we look at what all of the different bits of jargon and abbreviations and letters, as Carl was talking about, mean. It's easier said than done because the whole process is just so confusing. So an I might mean ink, it might mean institutional. A W on one platform may be completely different from a W somewhere else. And it's one of those things that you think, well, this is just a little bit complicated. Do I have to bother? Surely, you know, you're sort of roughly get it right if you've picked a fund and you choose one of the share classes but it does make a difference. It mm-hmm. can make a huge difference to the um, what you are charged to invest which over time can end up eroding a huge amount into your um, returns or not depending on which one you choose. Mm-hmm. So it's worth checking that you've got
0: the right one. And so how can investors work out which one they should be buying?
1: I think, you know, instead of being bogged down, the best course of action is simply to buy the cheapest share class that's on offer um, on the platform. And then the final step is to choose between income or accumulation. If you pick the income units, then the income will be returned to you when dividends are paid. And if you pick accumulation, those dividends will be reinvested. For younger investors and those that are building up their pension pots, for instance, the accumulation option probably makes more sense. And then in retirement, perhaps the income option is a better fit.
0: Thanks very much, Kyle, for all of that. Now, if you're a new investor or indeed just want a more streamlined approach to your existing portfolio, you might well find inspiration in a ready-made model portfolio. These are designed to make life easier if you don't feel confident making your own fund choices. And they consist of maybe six or seven funds, maybe fewer, that will work well together for a particular investment aim. Ideally, they'll be regularly monitored by the outfit running them so that investors can follow any changes made rather than having to worry about whether or not they should be switching funds uh, or rebalancing holdings or fiddling about with, with what's in the portfolio generally. So, Rachel, I know that you have been doing some work on your very popular model portfolios. Can you tell us a bit about that? So we have
3: five portfolios made up of passive funds and we think that they're a really good option generally, model portfolios for beginner investors because often the obstacle to starting investing in the first place is not knowing where to begin, just too much choice. And so if you've got someone who's done a bit of the legwork for for you and put together a portfolio, um, a simple one and a cheap one, that's based on your objectives that can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. I say your objectives, obviously they're not custom. Um, So you need to do a bit of homework yourself and make sure that they offer what you're looking for and perhaps seek financial advice if not, or to make sure you've got the right one. But the five that we offer, are very simple some of them actually are just one fund Uh, the vanguard life strategy funds offer in a sense a model portfolio within themselves because they offer a combination of bond funds and equity funds that are globally diversified so you end up um, with investments in potentially thousands of different companies um, without having to do much work yourself so those we have two of those as our uh, easy tracker portfolios and then we have others that are made up of um, slightly more uh, three four or five different passive
0: funds and what sort of um, investment aims do you cater for
3: so we have funds for if you have just felt i say just a thousand since a lot of money um, but a thousand pounds or fifty thousand pounds and depending on whether you're at the beginning of your investment journey in terms of your, your time horizon or or further towards the end we've just revisited our portfolios in the latest edition of money wise and we always go back we look at what the performance has been like and we suggest how you can rebalance to get the the ratios back to where you hoped for so what can happen in a model portfolio is if the if the performance of one fund is significantly better than the performance of another you can end up holding as a proportion of your overall holdings more in one fund than another and it may no longer be that that proportion fits the risk profile that you were looking for in the first place so it's a good job to check every year that you've still got the ratio that you're happy with and that may involve selling this one buying a bit more of another um, so we go through and, and suggest what the numbers are for what to buy and what to sell if you want to rebalance tobacco in the first place and as i said we also look at the performance of those funds so each of ours in the last year um returned between 15 and 20 percent which you hear that I assume you imagine that we're absolute geniuses, but they're not designed particularly to outperform. They are well diversified global portfolios. If the market does well, they'll do well. And I should mention that last year, most of them um, ended up making a loss. So it really, it really just depends
0: on on what's going on. Last year, twenty eighteen. Exactly. Mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that sounds like a, a great place for starting investors then. Interactive Investor also runs a number of model portfolios, and about a year ago, it, it launched an ethical portfolio, which was very exciting, and I think you were involved with that as well. So, can you can you tell us a little bit about what the aims there are? Love to, because I'm really excited about this
3: one. So, when you pick a model portfolio in general, the t- types of decisions that you'll make are about your time horizon, the amount of risk you want to take on, what your objectives are, and our. The Interactive Investor Ethical Growth Portfolio puts another layer onto that, which is, do the types of things that you're investing in meet your own values? Um, Have they considered the environmental impact, their social impact, governance impact? It gets difficult very quickly with this type of investing because your ethics Mm. aren't the same as mine, aren't the same as anyone else's, and how on earth you come up with a sort of one-size-fits-all for people with very different values is very difficult but Interact Investor to the decision that just because it's difficult doesn't mean you shouldn't give it a shot. So what we've ended up with is, is something that I think everyone would say cannot be in its nature perfect, but it's a good shot. So if you would like an ethical portfolio that's we focused on, on growth for this one, um, that's diversified, made of a multi-asset funds that we believe shouldn't compromise performance at the expense of aligning with your principles and values, it's an interesting starting point. Mm. And whether you go for a model portfolio or whether you decide to construct your own portfolio of funds that you think are are more closely aligned with with what you believe in, it's definitely worth a try, Mm. I
0: think. There's a mixture of um, funds in in the ethical portfolio, I think. but Some of them are more ESG Focused, uh, that's environmental and social and governance focused, and others are setting out to invest in companies that are trying to make a positive difference, they're coming up with ideas about climate change or water management, other aspects of, of the big problems that we're faced with in the world today. So the range of funds is actually really quite diverse within this one portfolio. You might want to Pick some of them and slot them into an existing portfolio, even if you don't choose all of them.
3: Absolutely, it makes sense. I think in a in, in a single model portfolio mm. to have that range, but individuals may believe that showing positive impact is is what they would like to prioritise in their ethical investing strategy. Um, others are happy to screen out, um, you know, what, what many people see as the baddies, and are, and are happy with that kind of strategy. So the the portfolio combines a little bit of, of both, or you can go it alone and prioritise those that
0: that are most important to you. Great. Um, and of course, Money Observer also has its 12 model portfolios. We have just gone through the the process of revisiting all the funds in in the portfolios and making sure we're happy with them, for which is something we do each year at about this time. But the important thing um, in many respects, is that these portfolios are monitored on a regular, ongoing basis. So, if you don't feel comfortable about keeping an eye on your, your um, holdings, then you can follow the lead of the expert's decision. So, it makes it a lot easier for anyone who hasn't got a great deal of confidence or, um, or time indeed to, uh, to do it for themselves. Um, finally, for this episode of Funds Fund podcast, we take a quick look at one of Interactive Investor's Super 60 Funds, and that's coming from Libby Godfrey. So
2: can you tell me a bit about what your fund idea is? My fund idea is the Murray International Investment Trust, which aims to generate long-term capital growth and an above-average dividend yield while preserving capital through a truly global portfolio of equities and bonds. It was launched many years ago in 1907 and has been managed by the highly experienced bruce stout since june 2004 along with the support of the wider aberdeen Standard investments team and what sort of things does it invest in well the manager focuses on global quality businesses where he has a high degree of confidence that the companies are able to continue to deliver earnings and dividends without paying too high a price for them The trust is not constrained by the benchmark, so it has the flexibility to invest in companies in all sizes, and also there are no hard limits on country or sector exposure. Interestingly, within the fairly concentrated portfolio, the manager also uses bonds to enhance the yield as well as to diversify the equity exposure. Some of the largest holdings in the trust include Taiwan Semiconductor, Roche and Verizon Communications. And what makes it particularly special? Unlike its peers, the Trust has significant exposure to Asia-Pacific, excluding Japan, Latin America and other emerging markets, as this is where the manager finds the best opportunities. In addition to this, the Trust features on Interactive Investor Super 60 High Conviction lists as a global equity income option. And what sort of investors do you think it will particularly suit? As well as generating long-term capital growth and a good income stream, the high-quality businesses can offer investors the benefits of capital preservation during periods of market weakness, meaning it would suit investors who are looking to preserve and grow their capital, as well as those seeking income. However, due to the contrarian focus and unique nature of the portfolio, the returns may differ from the index and peers. So, investors should also be comfortable with periods of underperformance. Thank you very much, Libby. That was really interesting.
0: And thanks to all of our guests. That's all for now. So, have a good week.